0: make decisions to increase safety, sustainability, efficiency, and others. The other piece of this, which we're very excited about, is we'll open up sort of a section of this network to act as a sandbox and sort of a safe innovation space or an innovation lab where technology developers of the future can come and just play on it and break stuff.
1: It's really how do we collaborate together and how do we share that data? These data cooperatives and these data hubs are going to be really where where the value is going to be seen over the next several years.
0: Transformative technologies are empowering enterprises to progress into the digital age and are fueling the growth of industries across the globe. Welcome to GXC MeshUp, a podcast that discusses private 5G, edge computing data access and management, and many more emerging technologies that will transform your business. We discuss use cases like robotic surgery, supply chain tracking, factory automation, and the security necessary for the billions of devices that will drive the fourth industrial revolution. Collaboration is at the heart of this next technological revolution. So join your hosts, the team at GXC, including Marco Hernandez, Business Development Specialist, Sarah Evans, Commercial Marketing Specialist, and myself, Ben Postuma, the Head of Product Development, as we talk with experts about the technology we are all collectively building to deliver true digital transformation to ensure organizational success far into the future.
2: Welcome to the GXC Meshup. My name is Marco Hernandez. I'm the manager of sales operations at GXC. I'll be your host for today's episode and you definitely don't want to miss out on this one because we got two phenomenal guests. Uh, The first one being Joshua Berger, Uh, CEO and founder of Washington Maritime Blue. Would you mind uh,
0: introducing yourself? Yeah, thank you Marco. Um, uh, My name is Joshua Berger. I Um, founded Washington Maritime Blue as what we call an innovation cluster organization. So our role is to help accelerate technology, innovation, sustainability, and equity across what we call is the blue economy. So that's maritime and ocean related industries. And we do that by bringing together public interests with private industry interests with research institutions and community-based organizations uh, so we're a nonprofit organization, an innovation cluster organization, uh, doing work with multiple partners.
2: Very cool. And Joshua, so what, what is your what was your background? Were you, uh, you know, and in, 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 uh, in, you know, in this field at all? Uh, you know, excuse me, you know, engineering or anything like that, or or what exactly was your background?
0: Yeah, so I, I've got a pretty varied background, but I spent many years uh, working in the maritime industry in the trades as a merchant mariner. So I worked on uh, boats, tug and tow boats, tugboats. Um, I was a captain of tall ships as platforms for education. I worked on research vessels, and then I have a background in doing, uh, we call, you know, multi-stakeholder planning, uh, and policy work. And so I spent a number of years uh, working in the industry and, uh, and then I found myself working for the governor of Washington state, governor Jay Inslee as, uh, his maritime economic development and policy advisor as a maritime sector lead which really um, was where this work was birthed out of, launched from, and uh, spun out into an independent organization.
2: That's very cool. I mean, I know some of the things that that uh, I've seen from my perspective at, at GXC is, is there's sometimes a, a disconnect between um, basically the reality of things on the ground, uh, and and how things, you know, in a concept uh, play out into that. And so you being, you know, you've kind of lived the mariner life there. So you you probably can bring a really good, um, you know, understanding from a ground level and how how these implementations and, and whatnot of new technology and, and startups working together actually can, can facilitate things and, and support things from the ground up.
0: Yeah, 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 no, and understand the nuance of how to sort of navigate some of that stuff you know, through the various, you know, public and private sectors. Uh, But, yeah, no, we call it sort of a deck plate level perspective uh, and then trying to sort of bring it up to the 30,000 foot and uh, navigate through those things for sure.
2: Very nice. Very nice. Well, thank you for the introduction. And then we're also joined by Aaron Reich, uh, who is uh, uh, in the Avanade's office of the CTO and leads their Emerging Technology and Ventures division. Uh, Would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself, Aaron?
1: Yeah, hey Marco and thanks for thanks for having me. Yeah, so for those that don't know, Avenat is a professional services company. So, we help large organizations uh with strategy work, technology and and building experiences. And I am responsible for what we do globally around emerging tech and ventures. So that is the R&D function. So, thinking of all the Early technology, how we utilize it, and make sure we've got capability in place to be able to serve our clients and guide them. And we do a lot of that work uh, just because of all the excitement that happens in the startup world. Understanding, you know, what's happening there and how we how we bring that and bring that specific technology to our clients.
2: Very cool, Aaron. Could you give me, tell me about? I'm curious how, how does how does kind of the evaluation process work for a, a new technology or startup? Uh, if when they wanting to get involved with um, you know avena's portfolio of companies and whatnot,
1: you know, I, 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 there's two sides to it. So when it comes to purely the startup side, it's uh, a, a two way street. So some of that is we've got different partnerships that we have with venture capital firms and other organizations and we see companies on the portfolio and we go, Ooh, that sounds really interesting. That aligns to something we're doing um, or even, a, you know, in an area that we've been thinking about and, and and we'll go and meet. And, you know, the other side of that is we'll be working, you know, with say Joshua, maritime blue, and they've got, you know, someone that they're working with or our client is doing something with a startup and we find it that way. And, you know, we just start conversations and do, you know, we've got our own evaluation criteria that we have internally around what makes sense of time horizons and when we want to try to land something. Uh, So it's all about sort of us having our furthest out point of view of sort of what is coming and knowing what are we going to do R&D on and what's something that we're going to try to slip in and actually accelerate because you could actually do something at scale today
2: nice and is avenad uh funding these efforts themselves or are they generally um you know creating partnerships and facilitating this stuff
1: yeah so we do not have a venture arm that we've set up that is for roi and investment in you know, taking equity. Uh, what we are doing is applying dollars um, to do what you just said. You know, accelerate that and and bring it to clients and through partnerships.
0: Very cool. And so, tell me, how, how do y'all how do y'all know each other? You know, Maritime Blue met Avenod and Aaron through the five G Open Innovation Lab, of which Avenod has been an important partner to them, uh, and we sort of. We're introduced uh, through, to the Open Innovation Lab and some work that they were doing in the agricultural sector, and uh, said, so "Boy, it would be really um, a great opportunity to, to talk to them about how you know this idea of a uh, private enterprise scale five G network could support you know the maritime and uh, port and terminal operations industry in a real, in a constrained and really specific geography." And Tacoma was a great match for that and a lot of work we're doing down there as an organization ourselves and, and some great work that our member organizations are doing. Uh, so, um, you know, Jim Brzezmissitz at the 5G Open Innovation Lab introduced us to Aaron and others as we started to develop the Tacoma Tide Flats uh, feasibility and use case study uh, for the Tacoma Tide Flats area. And that's how we met Aaron and his team.
1: Yeah. And Marco, maybe this is a good way to sort of answer your last question. About two years ago, we knew that there was going to be a change that was going to be happening. I'll use 5G just as a short sort of buzzword. But there's, you know, there's a there's a more massive sort of movement there around, you know, the commoditization of connectivity um, and what that looks like of how you how how an enterprise organization has been doing it a certain way for 20, 30, 40 years. And, you know, we see a step change that's happening and we're at the beginning of that now. Uh, so when the 5G Open Innovation Lab was founded about two years ago, I reached directly out to, to Jim and we, you know, had mutual alignment in our vision and we decided to be a founding member of what they're trying to do, which, you know, as Joshua said, led us to the the opportunity of working together.
2: Very cool. Very cool. Uh, well, tell me, I, I mean, you you mentioned something there pretty, uh, you know, th- there is a step, you know, that that's being taken. Can you kind of, you know, highlight that a little bit? What, what are you kind of seeing um, from that perspective?
1: So obviously there's a lot of technology and innovation if we just narrowly look at 5G, but I like to broaden that. And, you know, if you believe sort of a, so we've got a thesis that, you know, pick any of your favorite, hyperscaler cloud providers, Amazon, Microsoft, Alibaba, in the way that compute and storage have been commoditized, which basically means if you've got some if you've got the ability of means and you're some in most locations in the world, you're going to be able to build something and host that and and create something around it relatively inexpensively. We see connectivity as the next piece that is going to be commoditized. And that then means the way that a small company can begin to go, Gosh, it's really hard for me to go get SIM cards in all these different countries and set this up. And how do I, you know, that can take weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. We see we're at the very beginning of that transformation happening where a lot of things that used to sort of happen separately between, and I'm talking a large organization here. So in an, in, in an enterprise IT organization where they've got their information technology group and they've got their operations technologies and those, you know, they work together, but they've been fairly separate. We are seeing those move much more closer together and that some of that control is going to actually shift over to the IT side of the house. And that you're going to be able to manage a lot of these things within these cloud, um, through these cloud providers versus the traditional way of, I'm going to go have all these contracts with every single country that I'm operating in with all these communication service providers. And that dynamic then is feeding what is really a very interesting emerging ecosystem of well, there's new infrastructure that has to be put in place, you know, and, and GXC is part of part partly participating, right, in in, in the creation of that. Uh, and at the same time, outside of the infrastructure, you've got to go, what what are the use cases? What are the scenarios? What are what are the things where I don't want to just have a network to have a network, but where do I drive the business value? And I see us being early in the discovery of what really those are, um, and it's going to play out here over the next couple of years.
0: One thing I might add to that. Sorry, I just it just sort of jumping off to there's sort of the infrastructure that's going to support all of you know sort of this next step. And I'm thinking from from my industry's perspective, right, the maritime industry has a has a big leap to make. Um, it understands that, uh, but it's very complex and it's very disconnected, and it's a hard big leap to make um, uh, for many different reasons. We could talk about those things too, but you know, there's the infrastructure. To support it. There's the technology and use cases that we can get to. But I think what's really interesting that Aaron's getting to also is that there's sort of a whole new um, way of managing it or business case on how we manage it as well. And the 5G Open Innovation Lab with Avanade and others are playing with sort of this, you now utilizing the ability to set up these private 5G networks, but managing it sort of collectively in a new way. That we can bring very sort of disconnected and federated um, industry figuring out how to collaborate around data, and that's sort of that's the the very exciting piece of this as well.
2: That is very exciting, and um, I mean that's that's kind of where we're seeing you know uh, industry four you know kind of this this next quote unquote revolution in in this in these industries and whatnot. What are some of the challenges that y'all are seeing? Of 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 you know you have these these innovation labs and you have these groups. Uh, such as Maritime Blue, that's putting together partners, putting together government entities, putting together, um, you know, technology and other things. What are some of the issues or, or challenges that both startups and large organizations have in, in working together and, and really creating and pushing this, um, you know, we'll call it digital transformation trend forward?
0: You know, what, one thing I might start off, and then I, I'm curious to hear Aaron's answer too, right, from somebody who's been outside the industry uh and we've you know we've been through a lot and we've talked to a lot of stakeholders together and facilitated a number of groups. And um, you know, I think for us is if you ask somebody outside the maritime or port industry, um, we were just talking at the head of this, you know, what is the port of Tacoma versus Husky Terminal versus the independent truck drivers versus the third-party um logistics holders versus um, custom agents. It's a very complex and disconnected system, and so first and foremost, the the complexity is um, folks who are developing technology for the sector where it would make sense, sort of uh, innately, don't know where to go or who to talk to, right? People ask me all the time, "I want to talk to the uh, you know operations director of the port of whatever." So that I can introduce them to this new technology. And it's like, well, no, actually, you need to talk to the operations focus of this privately held terminal operator. And it makes sense really to come over here. So folks don't know where to go, right? They don't sort of the understanding of where each of the technology can fit and how do we bring these together. And that goes everything from, you know, a new technology developers trying to sort of understand the market, get some first demonstration and, and pilot projects in place, all the way to how we set up sort of a collectively managed private network. Um, that's, a, that's a major challenge. You know, the, the big part of that is that um, there's lots of separate interests there. And so when we start thinking about how we collaborate on data, it's not like we have just one single port authority that has access to and control over all the data. And if we just had all the technology to put it all in one place and have all the right dashboards and all the right information go in the right place, problem solved. No, well, there's competition across different terminal operators within a single port um, that are competing for various different ships and third party and the beneficial cargo owners. So people don't necessarily want to share data in, in numbers of different ways.
2: So Joshua, re- re- uh, on that, so is, is it like uh, essentially there is one pool of cash and all these entities are competing for different portions of that cash or are they all separately uh, uh, you know financed?
0: Yeah, it's a little bit more. It's a little bit more complex than that. But, you know, essentially, I mean, there's right. everybody's trying to sort of grow the region's competitiveness because that's going to be good for everybody. And how many boxes are going to come into a certain region? Right. And that will help the whole ecosystem. At the same time, they're competing for which dock those boxes are going to show up to and which warehouse they're going to go before they head off to the Midwest. We're unique here in Washington state, at least. We're unique in that the port as an entity is an independent public development authority with an economic development mission and is run by um, certainly its staff, but independently elected officials. They're like small towns, right, or small cities. Uh, And then you have the private interests who are doing the work, right? So they're landlord ports. Uh, That's different in different ports and gateways across the country and certainly around the globe. So the business model and where you might insert technology is going to be different everywhere you go, which is why we have organizations like Maritime Blue and our partners to be able to connect back to the technology industry and those who are developing it so we can help understand, navigate, and be a sort of a facilitator between the sector and where and, and where technology is developing. But it starts with sort of some new understandings of what the potential use cases are. And then once you sort of rally behind what's possible. You know, this has been our model and this is where our engagement with Avanad has come in. Once we sort of can help set the stage together, like, oh, we can do that now? Or I've been thinking about wanting to be able to do this. We can do that if we have the technology in place. Okay, great. We agree. Now let's set up the structure where we can share, utilize, etc.
1: Yeah. And one of the places where we see most of it starting is it's education, and it takes just a lot of conversations and meetings to, you know, if someone's been doing something the same way for 20, 30, 40 years, and then you've got a startup that has rethought that, you look at it and you go, well, I, I understand how that brings efficiency and speed, uh, and maybe it's going to reduce cost in some way it still is, gosh, we've been doing it in this way. Am I, am I really ready to introduce something that is that different? And sometimes it it it's a clear case and it can slip right in, but the majority of the time it's going to have lots of conversations um, because you've got to build consensus of, 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 of people understanding what you're, what is trying to do and how it's going to help.
0: Yeah. I mean, there is a large sort of uh, um, misunderstanding. I, I think this is my sort of commentary, When you say 5G, and we talk about technology innovation for maritime ports, it means loss of jobs. I don't think that that is the case. And there is a long way to go, right, between um, technology that's going to support efficiency, sustainability, climate impacts, safety. There's a long way to go um, between those things happening, you know, automated to the point where it's replacing a human being. Or just changing the nature of the work of the human beings working in the port. Um, but those are sent, those are important and hard and sensitive conversations. So when Aaron is talking about sort of the education needs to happen, like what this is and what it isn't right. A 5g network isn't something that comes in and puts people out of work. No, it gives us the ability to sort of see the work differently. And then we can, then we can adjust how we do work and how we do that for safety, sustainability, efficiency decarbonization right what you know all those different goals we see that can be used around it but um it's not just about inserting the right tech uh you know at any given time
1: yeah there's a big sort of human people experience layer that's in here that is always sort of the the last mile and an area that sometimes doesn't get as much attention but is obviously the actually, sometimes the most important it's not a lot of things we look at today is there's there's almost any kind of technology for what you want to be able to do today. It's really a figuring out well what's what's that right one? where are you going to bring the trust with that across your customers you know your employees, your partners, and how do you make sure that you're applying it in the ways for you know where the where the organization or you know even if it's for you know, that's Koma-tai Flats. Where's that? How are you making sure that you're modernizing that for the economic viability of the region?
2: And uh, I know that uh, Maritime Blue has some work that they're doing with on, on like educating, you know, a future workforce and whatnot to be able to be capable of, of of making, you know, the best use of of this new technology and whatnot. How does one, you know, we are talking about, you know, at the ultimately it comes down to. You know, uh, we don't. We a, a reimagining of the work in which people do. How are we going to get people trained uh, to be capable of, of of taking advantage of all these these new technological advances and whatnot?
0: I mean, I think that's that's sort of the million dollar question um, for sure. Um, <coughs> I have sort of my my perspective, having sort of worked inside state government um, and the workforce system at the same time. Uh, Worked within industry and part of sort of industry-driven and labor-driven workforce development programs. Um, it's very multifaceted. You need a workforce development system uh, that builds trust with workers, um, particularly when we're talking about transition of the types of jobs that are going to happen in sectors like maritime and manufacturing and the like, right, where the nature of work um, is going to change over time. But if there's going to be an acceptance of that, um and uh, engagement you know by labor organizations and workforce partners um they have to trust that the system is going to support them and that has not always been the case so it's all finding good to say hey we're going to retrain the workforce to to you know have sort of the, the be able to engage in the jobs of the future and it's going to be great and it's going to be more safe and you're going to make more money and um but we sort of need to build some trust with those organizations Uh, That we're going to do that well, so I, I, you know, that's that's really super high level. Uh, um, And at the same time, we need to, um, and this is a lot of the work that Maritime Blue does, is showcase to a next generation of workforce and to a workforce that hasn't traditionally been engaged in an industry, Um, and that's particularly in our industry, in our part of the world, people of color have not had access to industry, to this industry, or felt safe in this industry. Um, is to open up those pathways, right? And so now we have sort of um, a a new generation who uh, is thinking about what a 21st century, diverse, equitable, and inclusive, and technologically advanced industry looks like. We need to open up those pathways. And so Maritime Blue does a lot of that work as well, is connecting with those communities and providing connection points to employers who are ready to engage on that level.
2: Very nice. Well, tell me. Uh, I know we've been we've been talking a lot. Uh, here about some things, but I wanted to see if y'all could highlight any specific examples. You know, we've been talking about challenges and whatnot, but how about success stories that we've seen of of facilitating healthy relationships and partnerships between all these different, uh, you know, organizations?
1: I mean, I think a great example is actually the feasibility study that was done for the Tacoma Tide Flats. I mean, that was multiple organizations and you know, Joshua will do a better job than me of just the total number of stakeholders. (laughs) Sorry about that. Uh, You know, this is how you coordinate across public, private entities, dozens and dozens of stakeholders, and bringing them to the table to begin to collaborate together to identify use cases, really, of what what are these areas that we each have friction within our own business, but how do we find those right intersection points? So collectively as a whole, because we all work in the same ecosystem to be able to, to come together. And I think the way that we structured this initial feasibility study was, you know, a mix of interviews with lots of stakeholders. And then actually during the pandemic, coming together in a safe space to run in-person workshops and kind of air everything and really in a collaborative way, work, work through it all. For the group to actually come together with the scenarios, so it's actually the 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 people that are working in that ecosystem going. These are the challenges that we have, and we want to highlight and share. Like if we if we did it in a different way, these are the these are the ones that we're going to see that are going to bring the most value. I
2: see, Joshua. How about you know we we touched upon uh, Tacoma Tide Flats. Would you like to kind of do a bit more of a a dive on this and some of the problems or or, or anything that's that's kind of going on there?
0: Yeah. Um. You know the the Tacoma, you know the Puget Sound region, of which Tacoma is a major part, is the third largest container gateway in the U.S. Um, and Tacoma is a, is a is a large part of that. The the ports of Tacoma and Seattle have essentially joined forces to become uh, un- under container terminals. The ports entities themselves manage everything from airports to recreational boating facilities, and uh, but the container terminals are now collectively managed. Through an organization called the Northwest Seaport Alliance, and what that has allowed to do is that the ports and the terminals are actually competing less with one another for the ships, right, and and the boxes, allowing them to start to invest in the infrastructure of a 21st century shipping and logistics sector, and that's everything from you know uh, bigger bulkheads, bigger big to support larger ships. Uh, but it's also a technology infrastructure. So the terminals are now getting ready to invest in the infrastructure of the future for technology. But there's sort of um, an opportunity. why We're excited about the 5G Open Innovation Lab concept of sort of collectively managing a private network is that it gives us sort of a new way um, to manage that data and invest in the technology infrastructure through sort of a 5G lens. What it also allows us to do, uh, certainly, is enable each of the operators to to build the technology that they want. It also enables us to, with this private network, collect and share data in new ways. Now, again, we're going to figure out what data is appropriate and what what people want to share and what people don't. That's fine. We'll figure that out. But it allows us now to sort of create the data lake that's going to allow us to collectively um, make decisions to increase safety, sustainability, efficiency, and others. The other piece of this, sort of the third leg of this vision, which we're very excited about, is we're, we'll open up sort of a section of this network to act as a sandbox and innovation, sort of a safe innovation space or an innovation lab where technology developers of the future can come and just play on it and break stuff. Whether you are designing sort of the, you know, new frequency radio, and again, I'm not a technologist, but if you're figuring out sort of a new radio uh, technology that you want to put into our network and see how it bends around corners and can get through containers, great. If you are developing sort of a software solution to scan containers as they come off the ships and onto trucks, great. Come and play in our network as you're developing these early stage technologies. So you can just come and break stuff. And that will be really unique. It'll certainly drive a lot of economic development to the region because it'll be a network accessible like no others. Um, But it'll also give you access to uh, new markets because we're creating the opportunity for operators to be buying new technology at the same time. So um, that's new and exciting. We're not just sort of plopping in a 5G network, you know, and saying, you know, for one terminal or for one port controlled by one entity. We're sort of envisioning a whole new way in which we operate this network and use it to help accelerate technology innovation for the sector.
1: Yeah, and, and Marco, something I can add there is if you think about what Joshua just sort of described of the the big vision and the goal, one of the scenarios that was identified by the stakeholders is maybe there's just a different way we can think of. There's 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 something that happens called pre-stage trailer gate transactions. So think about trucks lining up at the front of the, you know, of, of a port terminal and waiting to basically go, "Hey, this is where you need to go to, you know, grab the container and get the load that you need to to to, to, to keep moving on in the supply chain." Today, that is, you know, there there's a lot of backlog that's there. There is a lot of you know, paper based transactions. Sometimes you don't know exactly where you're pulling up and where you need to go. And through the workshops, we identified well, what if there was a way to actually do a little bit of digitalization of part of that process? So the way that I think about it is just like when any of us go check in for an airline flight, right? You go online you enter your code, you check in, and there's a bunch of things that happen in the background that you don't see that when you show up at the airport, you're sort of cleared to get through security and, and get on your plane. Imagine if those things could happen because the data was shared across this ecosystem to go, here's the truck and where the truck is, and it's on its way. We know that this is the items that are coming off the ship, and this is the truck that it's going to go on. And so the, the people process and the support that's there is sort of still all the same, but you're gaining efficiency because you're going as soon as that truck pulls in, you know, it, it knows exactly where it needs to go. And there's been a bunch of pre-work that sort of happened um, versus a lot of manual work that happens today as, as part of that process, which is just... You know, really gaining some efficiency.
2: Yes, and I mean, uh, this is you know coming at a a very important time. We've seen what 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 COVID did to the entire supply chain. You know, uh, the resiliency of it, all of it, was extremely challenged. And so, my understanding is that your your Maritime Blue, um, Five G OIL, all y'all are essentially trying to create a blueprint that can be used in other ports and whatnot. um, You know, across the country, across the world, and whatnot, so that we can you know universally improve the supply chain processes, and how efficiently the, these uh, systems can work.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think there's a blueprint in terms of sort of how we might manage and, and operate a network, you know, be it 5G, be it with some, you know, on-site edge computing, how it engages with cloud providers, et cetera, um, and how we might collectively manage some of that data. And that blueprint will be relevant for ports that operate similarly to the ones in Tacoma and in the U.S., And then it's also giving a place to help accelerate the technology that will feed all of it at the same time, right? To have a network accessible and available to technology developers. So, yeah, so so I think we're both like providing the the blueprint as well as, you know, sort of the workshop to to build stuff.
1: Yeah, because it gives the ability for what is some modernization that can happen today, but it also gives a bit of future proofing, not just purely from the network side. but You know, imagine a startup that is coming and able to work sort of within this sandbox, and they have some different way to be able to look at boats that are coming into a U.S. port to uncover in a different way, are there foreign objects that are kind of on that you know, on, on the other side of the ship, you know, instead of sending and, and and being able to think about some of these things that can maybe start even off land sort of while they're while they're in the water and beginning some processes there and and part of a modern network can, can begin to help with some of that versus being restricted purely to the land. Mm-hmm.
2: Before we kind of... Um... You know, close things out here. I wanted to talk about specifically private cellular and private wireless networks and why they're going to be such a good fit within this. You know, this space, particularly at ports and terminals and whatnot. And I know we've been t- kind of touching over this. Uh, you know, throughout this conversation, but can can we kind of go into that a little bit, both Joshua and and Aaron?
0: I mean, you know, I, this is this is a new space for me, um, and I've been learning a lot from Aaron and from our friends at Amdocs and our friends at Five G Open Innovation Lab and as well as our friends at Ericsson and Nokia and everybody else and Microsoft that have all been sort of providing some input and some context to all, to all of this. You know, I think what's the opportunity for a private network just allows us to build a new collaborative way to get access to data, right? To use it and then to manage and to share it. And I think that's what's really different here, right? You know, within sort of a constrained private network, We sort of build it like a co-op, right? It just allows us to manage data and share data in a whole new way that particularly for our sector and how sort of segregated and siloed every part and piece from the truck to the dock is, uh, is going to be a game changer for us.
1: Yeah, I think the way to think about it is we are going to be in a world that is a combination of public and private networks. And those private networks may end up being at some point... Whole cities, some of them will be individual, small geographic locations, like a port or an industrial area. And there will be interchange of data between those public and private networks, but those private networks actually allow some flexibility. So if I go back to you know what we were talking about at the very beginning of, of the session here, and you know, this modernization that's happening to the networking side. There is efficiencies that, that can be gained in some simplification and control um, and visibility into that data across the whole data life cycle from you know something hitting a radio tower and that staying behind the firewall without that going out to a private ne- uh, to a public network, which we believe is you know, for specific entities and for specific use cases, extremely valuable.
2: Agreed, agreed. And you know if if some ports, you know the ability to to keep data on premises uh, without needing to go out to the public cloud, there's going to be some use cases in which that's going to be important to the end enterprise or customer. There's going to be the ability to build completely new business models out of stuff you know out of out of these networks, being able to leverage advanced, Advancements in technology and just being able to really over th- review and rethink the overall network strategy in general and and you know there's private networks in general and private cellular really is going to have some some great a uh, cost optimization in it in which it it does have the ability to get customized coverage you know you can put coverage really where you need it and without really needing to to lay down as much fiber or whatnot in actual physical infrastructure into these very complex areas. So there's a lot of potential in that in that space.
1: Yeah, I think something that's key in there, though, that you mentioned is it's not just the network. So even if we just, again, talk sort of, and I'll put it in air quotes here, 5G, there is an element of sort of the core network. But what we're really talking about, and, and even as Joshua was talking here about what the data ecosystem can can enable, you are bringing combinations of technology together. So you're, you're bringing speed and advancements from maybe it's 5G, maybe it's advanced Wi-Fi, maybe it's some future version of that, 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 that that's sort of not in place today, but you're combining that with, you know, computing and being able to do that at the edge. You're combining that with some artificial intelligence uh, as well. And so it's really how you bring multiple technologies together because uh, the network at the end of the day is just going to be a network and, it, and, and and so all the other pieces that have to sit there that can support that and to have that rich ecosystem of, you know, startups or other organizations coming to be able to build and, and, and show what's possible. Yes,
2: yeah, so I like to think of it, you know, we'll use a, an analogy of of a boat, Uh, you know, and that, that since we have a mariner here, it's like the engine of a boat, everything else is kind of built on top of it and all the value and whatnot that it can create. Is built on top of this essential foundation.
0: I can get behind that. I like it, Margo. <laughs> I'm always a fan of maritime puns. They're always appropriate. <laughs> well, you're welcome. You're welcome. So, gentlemen, I wanted to just give you both,
2: you know, a little bit of of, of time here to to you know any closing thoughts, anything you want to uh, you know highlight. How can people get in touch with you? You know, all that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, the next stage of this network, the feasibility study, was a tremendous opportunity to bring the stakeholders together. And really have, you know, utilities, cities, operators, uh, technology innovators, economic developers, public officials to really come together and understand, you know, what this is and what it isn't. And so it helped really set a stage. Uh, But we are forging ahead. Maritime Blue is an innovation cluster organization. It's become a model uh, for other innovation cluster organizations. And the five, uh, the edge cluster was formed to be the owner and operator of this network, um, of which I sit on its uh, inaugural board of directors, uh, along with Jim Brizamitsis and and others. Uh, We are uh, right now in the process of uh, competing for and applying for a significant amount of capital to get the network up and running, uh, to build the infrastructure, the capital side of it, And support its operation for the next four to five years as a pilot scale and have some initial operators engaged and utilities and cities and engaged in getting it up and running. So I'm knocking on wood here. knocking on the foremast of Maritime Pun uh, that by September we'll have cash in hand to start actually building out sort of the, the pilot demonstration of this network and the business model and the innovation lab to grow before the end of the calendar year. And so would love folks to come and engage with us in that process. And just to maritimeblue.org under our joint innovation projects is the place to get in touch with us and, and find out more between Maritime Blue and, uh, like I said, the new uh, edge cluster. Yeah,
1: and i say we're just excited to be part of part of this journey. One of the ways that I think about this is, you know, for our clients, many of them are still on their digital transformation journey. Some of them have been on that journey for you know, five or seven years. A lot of that has been internally focused, thinking of different business models, transforming some of the technology for where they need to go to, to, to modernize. The next stage of this is really the beginning of thinking through the participation in, in, in the ecosystems where, where you work across your broad supply chain and how different multi-party systems come together. And I think the Tacoma Tide Flats is a perfect example of the really early going. We may still need for all the individual stakeholders that are participating in the ecosystem, they still may need to do parts of their own digital transformation, but for the overall ecosystem that's there, it's really how do we collaborate together and how do we share that data these data cooperatives and these data hubs are going to be really where, where where the value is going to be seen over the next several years. And you can always reach me at either Avanade.com or probably more easily, you know, just on ping me on LinkedIn. Very nice.
2: Well, gentlemen, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you both. I, I know I know, we're excited at GXC about, you know, all the opportunities, uh, you know, in private cellular and whatnot. And, and it seems like like both Avanade and, and Maritime Blue are really in a phenomenal spot to to contribute a significant amount to this ecosystem and, and really provide a lot of value to a lot of different people uh that will you know go kind of matriculate out to every you know us a lot of us on an everyday basis so thank you both so much for your time and and uh, i've really enjoyed the conversation
0: yeah thank you marco yeah appreciate the opportunity good to good to chat alongside you aaron oh, thank you very much appreciate it absolutely thanks y'all Thank you all for joining this fantastic discussion. Be sure to stay tuned for more exciting and informational guests here on GXC MeshUp.